and you may be seated and take your Bibles and turn to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3, we're continuing our year emphasis on prayer and this morning I want to talk to you about the chief blessing of our salvation which I want to submit to you this morning is prayer. Galatians chapter 4, 3, Galatians chapter 3, we're going to look at chapter 4 as we uh, kind of trans, uh, uh, what's we, we kind of transport ourselves through the text. We're going to be in the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4. I love the sound of Bible pages flipping. That's, that's a sound that, uh, that's a good sound to hear in a church. Galatians chapter 3, and as you make your way there, I want you to imagine for a moment that you have just won the lottery. For some of you, that's not hard to imagine, right? They're sitting right next to you. Ooh, you're welcome. But imagine that you actually did win the lottery. And you're now entitled to, you've won $350 million. You've gotten the check. It's in your hands. All that's left for you to do is deposit it. And then let's say a couple days go by and you never deposit it. And then people start to wonder, what, what's going on? Why haven't you deposited the check yet? And then your response to them is something to the effect of, I really just don't have time to deposit the check. I, I'm so busy. I, I, I get up, I go, I've got work, I've got kids, I've got so much to do. I really just don't have time to deposit the lottery check of $350 million. They might think something's wrong with you, say, okay, whatever, you know, life's busy. But then as time goes on, you still haven't deposited the check, and they say, what's going on? Why, why is it taking so long for you to do this? And you say, well, you know, it just feels weird. I don't really, do, I don't deposit checks that often. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, you know, other people, that's their thing. They do that all day. They have the time for it. They're professionals at it. They're super great at depositing checks. God bless them. That's just not for me. Then a couple months go by, and people are starting to get concerned about your mental sanity. And they ask you, why haven't you deposited the check yet? And then you just look at them and you say, look, I just don't think it's that important right now. Now, how many of you think that that is a silly illustration? It's absurd, right? No one would be so foolish as to have a check for $350 million sitting on their desk and never deposit it. It sounds so silly and so absurd. No one would do that, right? But is that not exactly what we do as Christians when we don't pray? There are untold riches and blessings that await us but we treat prayer as if it's not that important 
We treat prayer as if it's an add-on feature to the Christian life. A couple months ago was Christmas, and my wife was asking me, what do you want for Christmas? And so I had this idea for a pretty funny joke. So I went online, went to Chevrolet.com, and I built my dream truck. Basically, anything they said, do you want this on your truck? I said, yes. And it came out to some absurd amount, and I sent it to her, and she knew I was joking because it was an insane amount, right? But when you do that, they have all these add-on features, and these add-on features are things that aren't necessary for the truck to run. These are features that it, it, they don't affect really getting from point A to point B. And sometimes that's what we treat prayer like in the Christian life. That prayer is the, the option to have electric mirrors or windows or to have heated seats or to have you know, the six DVD player option. But prayer is not an add-on to the Christian life. It is fundamental to the Christian life. And the reality is the Christian life does not run along well, does not get from point A to point B without prayer. And so in 2023, we've committed to focusing on prayer. And this morning, I want to talk to you about prayer from the perspective of it being the chief blessing the first and foremost blessing that we get to enjoy because of our salvation. What God has done for us in Jesus Christ has opened up to us the possibility and the privilege and the blessing of prayer. And so what I want you to see this morning is that prayer is one of the chief blessings of your salvation. What I mean by that, it's one of the sweetest benefits. There are benefits there are blessings that come from that, but one of the greatest graces, one of the, the greatest blessings is prayer. And I hope you'll leave here this morning with this in your mind as you think about your prayer life. What's the status of your prayer life? Why don't you pray? Or how do you view prayer? I want you to leave here this morning understanding exactly what it is that God calls us to in prayer and the blessing of prayer. So we want to look at Galatians. So this morning we're going to get to that destination of we talk about prayer being the chief blessing. But we're going to have to take the long way to get there. Sometimes it's better to take the long way to get somewhere. And we want to start in Galatians chapter 3. And we're saying that prayer is one of the chief blessings of our salvation. But how are we saved? What is it that God does to make prayer such a blessing? To see this, we want to look at Galatians beginning in chapter 3, starting in verse 23. Now, Paul in Galatians is very concerned to show the Galatian church that there is a distinction between law and gospel. And that that distinction has now been something that the church needs to pay very close attention to because in Galatia, you had people that were confusing those two categories. You had people who were saying, now that you're Christian, you need to be circumcised. And so Paul in chapter 3 is talking about the law and what is the point of the law and what does the law do for us and to us. But then he starts talking about the faith. He talks about what Christ has done. And when we pick up in verse 23, what I want you to see is that before Christ, before we get to enjoy the blessing of prayer, before Christ, we are captive under law. Look at verse 23. Now, before faith came, that is before being saved by grace through faith, he says, we were held captive under the law, 
imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So Paul understands that we are created in God's image, but we're sinners. And because we sin, because we disobey God's law, we are imprisoned under that law. We're captive under that law. Romans 3.23, right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've broken God's law. In Ephesians 2.12, Paul puts it this way, that before Christ, you have no hope and you are without God in the world. There is no relationship that you have with God apart from Christ. Before Jesus, you are under the law, condemned, separated from God, deserving of death and judgment. Look at chapter 3, verse 10, if you just go back a few verses. He says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Even if you thought you could keep the law and do enough of the law, if you're relying on keeping the law, you're under a curse. Your trust that you are a good person, that you kept the law, is something that is a curse for you because you cannot keep the law. But then look at what he says in verse 22. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. So we were imprisoned under sin and under the law. So you think about this. One of the big things in the news, right, is that trial that's going on in South Carolina, right? The murder trial. And there's all these theatrics. And whenever you have a high-profile trial, there's the, there's the media attention and there's the theatrics. But Paul says, in our case, if, if our trial were televised, there'd be no theatrics. There's no argument you can make that you're not under the law, that you're not a sinner, that you haven't disobeyed God's commands. We're guilty. We sin, and because we sin, we're separated from God. We are prisoners under the law. We're captive. And that is everyone's state before coming to Christ. Before you come to Christ, you are imprisoned. And if you haven't come to Christ, that's where you still are. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you haven't trusted Him, you are still under law. You are condemned and separated from God. So before Christ, we're captive under the law. We're prisoners. So what is our hope? Well, Paul tells us our hope is Christ. If we're imprisoned under the law and we're condemned, what is our hope? It's Christ. He says that in verse 23, it was imprisoned until the coming faith. Then look at verse 24. Because we were condemned under the law, captive and imprisoned under the law. Verse 24. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. Why? In order that we might be justified by faith. So the law is what points us It points out our sin and our condemnation, but it also points us to the fact that we need a Savior. And God sent His Son, Jesus, to be that Savior. Christ is our hope. Christ is our life. Christ is the one that can set us free. Why? Because He came. Look at verse 25. Christ is our Redeemer. But then in verse 24 and 25, it says that we are justified I'm sorry, it was verse 24, that we are justified by faith. So, 
the long way to get to the blessing of prayer were condemned under the law, separated. But in Christ, we are justified by faith alone. Right? You see that in verse 24. We were under the law in order that we might be justified by faith. That we're not saved by keeping the law. We can't. Our only hope is that is if we trust Christ and Christ alone. That he lived a perfect life. That he never sinned. That he paid the penalty for our sins on the cross. That he died the death that you deserve. He laid down his life for you. And he was crucified, buried, and rose again. And he rose, Paul says in Romans 4.25, for our justification. That we are declared righteous. So we are justified by faith alone in Christ alone. So we're imprisoned under the law but, and we're guilty But we're justified, we're declared righteous when we trust Christ. So what happens? We're we're condemned under the law. The gospel goes out. Sinners hear it outwardly. The Spirit calls them inwardly. Their heart is regenerated. They're born again by the Spirit. And then this regeneration, this being born again, becomes evident when you place your faith and trust in Christ. You trust Him and Him alone for salvation. The faith and repentance... That you exhibit are fruits of the Spirit's regenerating work. And you're declared just. Look at chapter 3, verse 13. We're, We're declared just not because we do anything, but because of Christ. Look at verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Look at chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son to be born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. That's you and I. Why? So that we might receive adoption as sons. So Christ comes to redeem us. He sets us free. But when we place our faith and trust in Him, we are declared righteous we are declared innocent we we are guilty but because of jesus because of jesus when we trust in him his righteousness is a big word imputed his righteousness is deposited into your account it is credited to you so think of it this way in justification there are two kinds of imputation this giving this depositing that takes place First, there is the imputation of the righteousness of Christ to us. When we trust Christ, even though we're guilty, even though we're sinners, when we trust Christ as Savior, His righteousness, His perfection, His law-keeping is deposited into our account. But then there's the second imputation where when we do that, our sin is imputed to Christ. Jesus bore our every burden and our every sin on the cross. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. But there's also the idea that God does not impute the guilt for our sin on us. So we're guilty, captive under the law, but because of Jesus, we're justified by faith alone in Christ alone. Okay? So you were separated, you were a prisoner, 
Christ comes, lives a perfect life, the gospel goes out, you believed, if you've believed, you've been forgiven. Now what does Paul say? Look at chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. Jesus came to redeem those who were under the law. Why? So we could just be righteous? Why? Just so we could have our slate wiped clean? No, it's better than that. Why? To redeem those who were under the law. Why? So that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. Notice in in, in verse 6, I want you to notice the Trinitarian language here in verse 6. He says, Jesus did this so that we might be adopted as sons. And then verse 6, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. God sent the spirit of his son so that we might cry, Abba, Father. So not only are we redeemed from the law, but we are wrapped up in this triune family. We are adopted, and now our family members are Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When we are adopted, we are given the Spirit of Christ so that we might call out to the Father. Now what I love about this is When you look at verse 6, there's a change in our heart that takes place. It's not just that we have a legal standing, but there's a heart change. We become children who love our Heavenly Father. And the Spirit is poured into our hearts so that we cry, Abba, Father. You cannot say that apart from Christ. You cannot know God as Father. Now, by the way, I'm going to smash a sacred cow here, okay? Abba does not mean daddy, okay? If you need a minute, I'll take a minute. It does not mean daddy. I understand why that's a thing. I know, I know what's trying to be communicated here. But Abba, you know what it means? Father. You know how we know that? Because Paul tells us exactly how to translate it. Our hearts cry, Abba, that is, Father. But, but don't, don't let that fact, you know, if I burst a bubble, I'm sorry. But don't miss still how amazing this, this is that even though you were a prisoner, you are now a son who can say without any shred of hypocrisy, any misgivings, any doubt, Father. So, if we zoom out a little bit, you were without hope and without God, Paul says, but because of the gospel, because of what Jesus has done, you are adopted and you are now a part of God's family. And as such, you get to enjoy communion With the triune God. What does this all have to do with prayer? You know, Paul could have just said that we were justified by faith alone and Christ alone. And that our sins are forgiven and and now we've been adopted and that's our new status. 
But what does Paul say that the Spirit of God was poured out into our hearts to do? What does he say? Into our hearts, what? Crying. Crying out. Speaking. Vocalizing. It's speech. God adopts you. He sent His Son to save you, to bring you into His family. Why? Because He wants to hear from you. <laughs> the word for crying is a word used in Romans 8.15 where Paul says, You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, the spirit by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And Paul says that in Romans 8. You know what comes in Romans 8, 26, right? That the Spirit helps us in our weakness, that we don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit is poured out into our hearts so that we might cry out, and that when we pray and we're not really sure how to pray, even the Spirit prays and helps us to pray as we ought. So how do we put all these things together? Apart from Christ, we're lost, we're without hope, but because of Christ, We're justified by faith and adopted. And because of our union with Christ, we now get to enjoy prayer. So think of it this way. The gospel came to you. God saved you. So that you might enjoy communion with him in prayer. God did all of that. So that you can come in prayer. Cry out. You can be with him. And when we see it in this light. Prayer I think is the chief blessing. What's the first thing that you do. When you come to faith in Christ. You pray. Right. That's the first and chief blessing. Now you pray. It's the chief Blessing that we often miss that the gospel has secured for us. Not just that we pray. Don't miss this. It's not just the prayer. It's communion with God. You meet with God. You take a hold of God. You commune with God in prayer. That is one of the greatest gospel blessings. Calvin puts it this way. It is by the benefit of prayer that we reach those riches which are laid up for us with the Heavenly Father. For there, that is in prayer, is a communion of men with God. Believer, every time you pray, you are in the presence of the triune God who did everything, everything possible to make that happen. Prayer is built, one one writer puts it this way, prayer is built upon adoption and adoption bears fruit in prayer. Adoption is the foundation of prayer. You see, prayer is not what makes you a son or a daughter. Jesus did that. The Spirit did that. Prayer is enjoying the status of being a son or daughter. 
All those times that you don't want to pray because you think God doesn't want to hear from you. God can't believe you committed that sin again. You, can't, you think the Father is just waiting at the table so that He can rip you a new one. Or you think that He's just walked off because He's so mad at you that He wishes that He never adopted you. Jesus did everything that you might be adopted. That's the basis of your prayer life. That's the foundation. If you ever doubt, will God welcome me? Haven't you seen what all God did to make it possible for you to even come? We, we go over this so quickly. You go to Matthew chapter... We don't have to go there. You don't have to go there. But Matthew chapter 6 verse 9. Jesus... The disciples say, teach us how to pray. And Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father. Do we realize how astounding that is that Jesus would tell us to call God our Father? And then to realize all that, that Jesus has done... There's been a shift in the language. I don't know if you've noticed this, but we started out the sermon and then in the text talking about being prisoners, being captives. And then we went through the good news of the gospel, and now we're talking about ourselves as sons and daughters. What Christ has done has made it possible for us to enjoy the chief blessing of our salvation, communion with God in prayer. So what do we do with this? I want to give you very quickly three applications. Number one, seek forgiveness for a lack of prayer. We almost always have to start there because none of us ever pray as much as we could or should. Seek forgiveness for a lack of prayer. Ask God to forgive you, but Whenever you are asking forgiveness, right, you have to go to that person. Even if it's virtually, if it's through text or a a phone call, you still have to go to that person and ask forgiveness, right? And it's no different than God. You cannot ask forgiveness without prayer. And so we have to start there. And so maybe you need to ask God to forgive you for a lack of prayer this week. I've asked God. I was laying in bed this morning and I knew I was going to be preaching on prayer. And I, and I just felt convicted. I said, God, I know I haven't prayed as much as I could have or should have this week. But then the Holy Spirit was like, well, why do you feel bad about that? Is it because you feel like you're going to be a hypocrite? Do you feel guilty that you didn't check off a list? Or do you realize that you have neglected this communion that is offered to you. And so as your pastor, I'm praying, Lord, forgive me for not seeking you in prayer. That's the first application. But the second I want you to, to, to consider is view prayer as a chief blessing. And view it as a, view it as a chief blessing. It's a taste of eternity. Taste and see that prayer is the chief blessing. When you view prayer as a chief blessing, it's a paradigm shift from the way we often think about prayer, I think. So often we think of prayer as a to-do list or as a duty or something that, that we're just supposed to do because the preacher told us or we read it in a book or a Bible study. 
But when it's viewed as the chief blessing of our salvation, the very first thing that we can enjoy, and one of the best things that we can enjoy because of our salvation, that changes the way we view it. But then the third, it's really not a surprise. I want to encourage you to pray as adopted sons and daughters. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are a you know that you've trusted Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. I want you to pray as an adopted son and daughter. How many of you, some of us have kids that are young and they're still at home and, and maybe you remember, but how do your kids talk to you? Do, when your kids want something from you, do they ever come down? In front of you and kneel. Cross the, well, maybe they do, but do they, do they say, Father, you're so good. Right? What do kids do? Dad, I need this. Mom, can I have this? Right? There is a security there. There is, a, there is an openness there that when we think about it praying as children, what do children come to their parents for? Think about the things that you could pray about. God, I'm scared of this. God, I need this. God, I'm not sure about this. God, what does this mean? God, why did this happen? When you pray as an adopted son or daughter, you, you just come. All of a sudden, you're praying all the time now because it's, it's I'm going to ask Father a question. Or I'm going to tell Father something. But more than anything, what I want you to know is that your Father, God wants to meet with you. He wants to hear from you. He did all of that so that you might come. Now, I'm a grown man. I'm in my 30s. Late 30s, 38 to be exact, if anybody cared. And I don't always need to call my dad. Sometimes I don't want to call my dad because I want to try to handle it first, right? Sometimes I don't want to call my dad because I think he's busy or I know he's tired or whatever. Sometimes I don't want to call my dad because I don't want to admit that I need help. But you know what I never question? Is whether my dad wants me to call him. Do you see the difference? You may have a lot of reasons why you haven't prayed in a while or why you don't pray as much as you should. But what I don't want you to leave here doubting is that your father wants to hear from you. So approach prayer like a son and a daughter. Approach it as communion, not just communication. Prayer is us enjoying our adoption as sons and daughters. You say, what do I do to enjoy the fact that I'm adopted? Talk with your father. Speak to him. Go to him. Spend time with him. When we understand prayer this way, I hope that we will not hesitate to go to him with every burden, every care, every issue, minor, big, whatever. Because we see what all he's done to make it possible for us 
to be in his presence, to be his son and to be his daughter. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the great work of Jesus. God, for the good news of the gospel that Christ lived a perfect life, that he was crucified, buried, and rose again for our justification, such that now being justified by faith, we are adopted, and being adopted, we have open access to communion with a triune God. God, when we pray, we are wrapped up in the Trinity. The Spirit speaks through our hearts, and we come by Christ to the Father. Lord, help us to pray as sons and daughters, not as prisoners, not as captives, not as soldiers, but as children loved by our Father. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us to make that possible, that chief blessing of prayer. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.